Accelerating Careers in Real Estate with Nick Carman. Brought to you by McDonald & Company. So this evening, I'm sat with David Ainsworth, Executive Chairman of CORE. Now, CORE is best known for their focus on high-quality commercial development. Currently embroiled in the very public debate on the project to redevelop ITV studios in the South Bank. And David was one of the three founding directors of CORE, which stands for City Office Real Estate. So David, thank you very much for joining me. Very pleased to be here. So David, let's get us started. How does Chapter 1 begin? So, when I was young, I was, uh, like a lot of people, unsure where to go or what to do. But um, when I was in the later part of the school, I had a good friend who was uh, an agent, actually, up in the northeast. I come from Middlesbrough. And on the back of that, I ended up going to Reading University uh, for what was called the state management in those days. Uh, And I think it was an interesting experience that... It was mixed. I, I found I actually found school and uni a bit of a struggle, to be honest. Um, it it didn't quite fit me. A bit of a theme. Some things, but then things fell into place. One of the things I did, I had a year out actually because uh, I didn't get past one of the years, and I actually went and worked in an agent's in Reading, and that was a really big experience for me. It just pushed me, and it was a, an indication of a bit of how hard graft can take you through stuff. Uh, and I came out the other end and, and did fine and went into um, what you would now call chapter two. Um, so I, uh, I I started looking around for jobs, um, Estates Gazette, jobs the back of the Estates Gazette, as lots of people did, um, and ended up, would you believe, working in German Street in St. James's, the boy from the northeast. Um, and couldn't quite believe my luck. I was working at a, a firm of agents called Donaldson's, uh, just above uh, the shirt shop near St. James's Street. Absolutely amazing, handmade shirts, handmade shoes. And that first year was uh, was fine. I was doing valuations. I got to know a good group of people. Ended up going to the Coach and Horses off uh, Barclay Square uh, with all the agents. Um, I was there yesterday, actually, looking at it, thinking, oh, yes, I remember those days. <laughs> and um, I, 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 it was again. It was a great. It was a great first year. Just absolutely couldn't believe every every time you looked at London landmarks, you go, "Wow, I'm here." I, having said that, I think it. I started to realise that I wasn't quite. I, I wasn't an agent as such. I was. I was generally doing valuations. I was doing other things. We call it the agency, but actually, it's, it was it was a whole load of advisory things and plus. A number of interesting valuations, such as everything from from industrial units to um, dodgy s- shops in Soho, um, and I still have that one report in my little files at home. Um, I don't quite know how we valued the back room, anyway. Um, but uh, my second year there, I was actually one of my colleagues, well, bosses there was a guy called John Nettleton, who later became. Uh, managing senior partner there, and he uh, he saw, must have seen something in me. I can't, you know, I can't remember how or when, but he took me under his wing a bit. And he he was head of the shopping centre advisory side, the development side, and I got to get involved with a, a shopping scheme in um, Hereford. Would you believe? Um, and so for a, for a period of about nine months, I was going up and down to Hereford every month with a team. 
got to understand the nature of development and what it was. And it was the beginning of a seed sown there, I thought. But, and I still look back on that time as the beginning of um, how I am, where I am today. And it, the client there was Norwich Union, um, and which then is part of the next chapter. Well, don't let me go. Uh, stop me there. Let's get stuck yeah. into it. So, so I, I, another back page of the of the EG. I saw the ad for um, Norwich Union a job there. I'd actually taken a job with another institution um, in the world of uh, jobs, which you know all about, Nick. And and <laughs> decided decided that I preferred this one when they offered it to me. Careful, so, you end up on our dartboard if you're not careful, David. I know exactly, exactly. Bad, bad, bad habit. Um, but this one was in Piccadilly. Would you believe a hundred yards from where I was at? I thought mm, I like this part of London, so I'm going to stay around here. So anyway, so moved to Norwich Union kind of, I think they called a portfolio manager. It was a bit like an asset manager. You had a portfolio of assets that you, you looked after. Great group of people. At that time, NU was, was a, you know, was buzzing away. They were doing a lot of stuff around the country, certainly in London, certainly in the shopping side. And um, it, was a, it was a great place to be. I had a great boss, Peter Nichols, who, who again, saw something in me and gave me encouragement. And in particular, a guy called Dick Perrin, who, who, was a great mentor to me in the early days. And um, uh, I, see, I saw him quite recently, actually, and he hasn't changed at all. And I, I, all of that is, is, for me, I began to start having a bit more confidence that I, having gone client side, which was one of those things that I'd been thinking, I think I've, it suited me and I really quite enjoyed that. So I think it, I felt like I'd, I'd reached a place that, that was setting me fair to go forward. Um, having been thinking, hmm, is this the right place for me? But anyway, so this is this this move move forward. I had a, a decent run of a wider range of things, but eventually got involved with uh, some decent developments there. In particular, my first really big development venture, Street Station, which uh, involved rebuilding the station uh, for British Rail and the building. Uh, on the, the top of it, which is was uh, fondly called the Toblerone building, which is still there. Um, it's still there after two refurbs uh, letting away. We were very proud. It was a four-year thing. I got to know an amazing team. Still, Some of them are still friends today. I was the green client sitting in these big policy meetings. They kind of knew that I was pretty green. I was 27, 28, but they... They were great. They supported. Nobody took advantage of that. And we, we had a great result for a very, very complicated scheme with, uh, with building a station as well as an office building. So it was, it was a great experience. And, and you, were straight, you were in the deep end. And we let it to NatWest for 25 years. So it was an incredible time, really. So on the back of that, we did two or three other developments in the city, quite decent sized office buildings, um, one of which, would you believe, I went round the other day uh, because it's up for, up for, for a sale. Um, but I felt that internally, career-wise, I felt really on track. It was a fantastic time in my life. I kind of, you know, the trajectory was moving pretty well, actually. And I felt you know, pretty confident. The only problem was that I was the head of offices in London and the whole development team was based in Norwich and I hadn't really, I didn't really feel I wanted to go to Norwich um, permanently um, and they kept trying to persuade me and I was sort of finding excuses and trying to work out what to do. 
And in the end, uh, the one of the headhunters came came knocking on the door. This was the late eighties. It was a real boom market, and I did. I blinked and and took the took the opportunity to go to to Greycoat, uh, which was um, the beginning of the next chapter. Well, before before we uh, we speed on to that that next one, I wanted to ask you something about how I think sort of. You can. I, maybe I'm reading too, too much into this, but the way you described those early days at Donaldson's, I think you used some of the phrases about sort of not being a traditional agent. Um, I got I got a, a little bit of a feel about uh, someone who maybe feel a little bit like a fish out of water. Mm. Yet, in comparison to NU sort of Norwich Union as it, as it was, this is a 26, 27 year old here who's head of offices, but mm. suddenly this you you sound much more confident, much more comfortable. How's how is this? How did it happen? I think I think it was. Or maybe why the, why why did yeah. you feel like that? Do you think? Why why did I feel out of water? Yeah. Why did, you, why did yeah Why did you feel out of sorts in that in the agency environment in the the early days? I was younger. I just I think I I didn't have maybe the first two or three years. I you know you're just trying to find your way, and I I, I think probably I. You know, to be honest, I didn't feel like I was the same type of person that was doing the doing the kind of investment type deals and that sort of thing. And I thought, mm, it's it's is that really me? And I think when I, as soon as I crossed crossed the line, as it were, mm-hmm. it everything seemed to click. But I'm sure the roots of it were in those first two or three years, where especially in that period with with John, who who sort of pushed me forward, etc. So I think the roots of it were there. And so it, it wasn't as if that was like, oh, nothing happened then. I'm sure that it gave me a lot to work with uh, to take it take it up. But I was starting to, you know, you learn the language. I started to learn how to read the room. I, you know, to be honest, I started to learn about how to work office politics effectively. And weirdly, if, you know, somebody said to me, you're very good at that, aren't you? And I said, at what? You know, and it's just, it was just... You know, it's just instinctive then. So I started to work out how to work your way through things and achieve stuff. And it's and it's still, it still resonates today. So, David, I, I interrupted your your flow very rudely before. You were just introducing chapter uh, chapter three re- and introducing now the uh, the name Greycoat. So off we go. Yeah. Yeah, so Greycoat's great name in the market, at, especially at that time, one of the glamorous investor developers um, that had emerged during the 80s, during the period of the boom and the change since uh, the Big Bang of mid-1980s. So when they came to knock on the door, I was, yeah, I was impressed. There's no getting away from that. And I, I really thought, okay, let's do it. And so I, I jumped and ended up working in an office literally 50 meters away from where I'm sitting now um, in Old Jewry. So our office is literally just around the corner. So I go, I go, I go past that a lot and look at it. it. Strangely, you're coming from a, a big fish in a still quite a big pond, but a small pond in Piccadilly in the sense that it was a not a massive department, to being quite a small fish in quite a big pond at Greycoat. And I really thought, I walked in, thought, hmm, oh, wow. <laughs> and, and there's one of those moments where you're, when you're, you're thinking, 
ah, this is, I wasn't, you just realise how much support and how much emotional support you'd had in the other place and you're coming into a brand new thing and you've got to work everything out. You had a, a new trajectory to work out. So I, I, and I was, you know, fortunate, you know, got on well with people, worked it out. Somebody left just quite soon after I joined. I hope it wasn't connected. And um, after a looking at a few things this was sort of getting towards the top of the market in the 80s we got involved with Paternoster Square and Paternoster Square became my baby for probably four years in the early 90s during the well the market was going a bit pear-shaped I was I was plugging away getting a consent working through with so we had we had an American partner Japanese partner uh, Mitsubishi Estate and uh, I ended up uh, weirdly the last man standing as as various people who'd been involved with it dropped away for various reasons mainly to fight fires elsewhere um i ended up leading the planning on that and um got to know peter reese got to know the key city players over which then stood me in fantastic stead for the next 25 years to be honest and 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 built a, 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 a relationship of respect with some great designers great architects and um and and set set me in a, in a on a new path it was it was also my lifeboat scheme during the early 90s everybody in the real estate industry needed a lifeboat in the early 90s and that was mine uh i sat with some really lovely people from Mitsubishi for about a year and a half in an office together and we just plugged away and got the consent and then ironically after that Greco lost lost control of it so we didn't get involved to, to build out all of it but then we came back and bought part of the site so that I was able to be there in about 2000 or early 2000s when the whole thing was opened I was there wearing the hat of the planning and then the hat of doing two of the buildings on the site so I was very proud of that uh, so it was a it's an amazing skiing and i I've recently joined, become a member of the Architects Livery Company, who are based in Temple Bar, which I had been instrumental in bringing back to the city. So, so that was, you know, that for me is a is a great cir- circle joined uh, to be able to go back there now. Out of interest, going back um, to this principle of le- of learning and and learning accelerating, then sort of your development. Yeah. You um, you put the nice juxtaposition position of of NU and and Greycoat small small fish big big pond now. What what do you think you were particularly learning at this at this phase? Um, I think you learn how little you you really know um, in terms of the uh, I suppose credibility in, in to be able to command a room of you know quite senior Americans and. And the, and, the, and the Japanese partner and all of that, and how it takes time to build that credibility with uh, with new, completely new people. I'm not somebody who throws his weight around in a meeting. Anybody who knows me knows that. I'm somebody who you sort of achieves by getting to know people, reading the room, learning how to you know, work out what's important and concentrate on it. And you're often surrounded by people who, to be honest, do throw their weight around and make a lot of noise. But you kind of learn how to almost manage that as well. But it does, you know, it does take time. But I but I learned, and also I learned about how to be ambitious 
uh, from the chairman of Greco at that time is Jeffrey Wilson. Great guy, always one of my great mentors. Uh, not somebody who's as well known as Stuart Lipson or or, or, or Chris or Peter Thornton, but I really, really like Jeffrey, one of my great heroes. Um, he had fantastic. He, you know, he knew Richard Seifert. He knew he knew all of these great architects, but also had this almost like a sort of there's a childlike belief that it's important to start again every time look at look at new people look at new ideas always keep your 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 um, eyes and ears open for something interesting um and enjoy it so those are the things that i got from that it is interesting you mentioned time because in in my prep for our for our interview i got to talk to someone who knew you at the very very earliest days of, of mm. gray coat and i mm. asked i asked them what was their first impression of you Hmm. Um, and this and this is what, what they said. David very quickly understood that development is a marathon, not a sprint. And that if you don't find a way over every hurdle, of which in London commercial development there are many, you will trip and fall. And that's very nice to hear, isn't it? But what I what I think this is obviously somewhat someone here who is who's who's impressing in terms of essentially sort of a, a wise beyond their years. So very nice nice to hear. I wanted yeah. to, re- to revisit something you you said there about about the type of person you are. Not throw away your not throw your weight around. Mm. I think that is a common trait, isn't it, of yo- of younger individuals. I think it's really really easy to assume that I need to I need to live up to this idea of being the alpha male. If you know, if I feel at a slight disadvantage because I am maybe younger, I'm less you know, I'm I'm less reputed as some of the other people in, in my uh, uh, in in this space. How did you fight that? How did you fight that? Let's say temptation. How did how did you how did you still steer the room, you know, without without living up to that stereotype? Well, I think I think it's a very simple answer. Never try to be someone you're not, because if you do, you'll be found out, and um, not sometimes not immediately. I mean, some people are, are good at throwing their weight around and actually have made a living, have a great, great career out of it. <laughs> I'll make <laughs> sure I ask you offline who those are. <laughs> <laughs> but and, but weirdly, I'm not actually making that a negative. If you throw, I'm throwing your weight around is a, a pejorative term, but but I think, but, but certainly using a sort of, I don't know, a, a, a positive, a strong, sort of stronger, sort of slightly bruisier approach and there's a place for that sometimes because um we shouldn't underestimate that now i'm thinking of the you know if you're if you're going to do that do it with with proper conviction and belief that and the people will will kind of respect it even if they don't particularly like it and that you know there you do have people like that who are who are quite good at that but I, but if, but going back to my original point i think is if you try and do something that is you're, you're sort of bluffing basically you'll be found out and i think that's um that's something that i've always strongly believed and i think people know me for that and and so you know and i you could argue that i've i've been more understated and Possibly I could have done different things in different ways. The truth is I would probably, we'll come on to the, the resting parts of careers, but, you know, if I'd been a, you know, different type of individual, I'd have probably gone off and done something different, you know, after a few years at Greycoat or I'd start up a different thing. I didn't. I, I stayed and 
in different forms. Um, one of the characteristics, I think, of my career, especially in this last this last 20 years or so, has been we've basically reinvented ourselves about three or four times as a different company, or so, but but we're still the same same thing. So I haven't had to have that fish out of water experience anywhere else, to be honest, because I've I've used what I've got and just done it in a different way, and we've set it up in a different way, and that's been a really big thing. I think. I think people that step, do lots and lots of stepping stone type jumping, you've, you've got to remember you've got to spend a year just trying to work out where you are every time you do that. So, so I think I was I was I, I was fortunate, but it's also part of my character. I didn't want to do that. I found lots of different ways of making it work within the within the um, format stroke group or whatever that I was doing, and also building a few alliances with people who then did it with me. Now. I want to once more to uh, to chip in here. Um, you met, you used the phrase then of of you using what you've got. Now, going back to some of the research, I I asked a little bit of what what David has got, and one of your sort of long time sort of colleagues said I thought was something very interesting, and they and they said that David was the epitome of a great development manager. And, and they then they listed a series of traits of what they thought were a great development manager and said sort of David exhibits all of these. Now, I won't, I won't rattle these off because I wanted to ask you the question, having <laughs> spent now sort of uh, 30 years in, in commercial development, what, what would your, your view on being the most important skill in that field? I suppose... Uh, very good, Nick. Lovely to throw a question in like that. Um, I suppose for me, it's understanding because we're, we're, the thing about DM development management is you're basically working for third-party investors. Um, but sitting, and, and I've always believed it's important to sit beside them, not not be part of a hierarchy. You've got to have the authority of, I would say, looking at it through the client's eyes, um, and therefore. They respect you and you respect them. Um, you never don't put yourself in a position of, of hierarchy where they just you, get, you just get kicked. Um, I think my I suppose my the, one of the most important things is really understanding what the what these what the client's looking for in terms of their their outcomes. Reading, I suppose, assembling a, a team that has respect. Respect is a is a continuing theme through the whole thing. Treat people in that team as you would wish to be treated yourself. And then you'll have a, I suppose, a mutually satisfactory outcome when it comes to it. And I, I, we all talk about luck. And, and I'm sure everybody says, oh, well, I had a bit of luck as well. And everybody says you need luck. I'm a great believer in making your own luck. <laughs> and you do that by a mixture of hard graft, but also really understanding what's motivating the person in front of you um, and what they're looking to achieve. But but having enough authority to, say, direct them in a way, because you, you sometimes, obviously, some overseas clients aren't quite sure what they want or how it, how it works. But having the authority to be able to say, well, if you say it, they'll kind of accept it and say, okay, that's that's good advice. So you become a, the, the trust. Building trust and respect is is important, I think. So, David, you you, you gave us, I think, sort of the uh, a short sort of introduction, or you sort of teased us with what was coming coming next. Tell us tell us a little bit more. So, as I said, the um, I just 
continually reinvented myself throughout this period through whilst whilst working for for Greycoat, turned into city offices. And as as time went on, the small group of us effectively became the the, the core of core, as it were. And in the, about 2007, 2008, we completely separated the companies. And effectively, I started again. It was like a another startup. Uh, there were four of us, uh, uh, three of us in a room, four of us quite soon after that. And it, it was an amazing, interesting time. And that was around the time of the so-called GFC. And it was a time when we had the reputation. But again, we'd, we'd almost sort of reached a point where we can we can reinvest what we've got. But we we needed to, you know, build it all up again. And I'd say the last um, that period. So it's coming up to 20. Well, 15, 17 years. Well, yes, it's about that since that that period. Um, we've we've had this most amazing uh, rise of the both the turnover, the types of projects we were looking at. One of the early ones we did was um, we got involved with the the the, the pre- predecessor of 22 Bishopsgate, which was the Pinnacle, another massive planning consent, which was a, a wonderful scheme worked with uh, Karen Cook at PLP uh, for DIFA, a German fund, and they sold it. And that was a very successful sale. And that was exactly what we knew was going to happen. That happens in the development management world. Sometimes they sell the assets, you don't build them out. But getting those consents was a fantastic feather on our cap. Uh, the one, the transformational scheme for us was a watermark place where we did a giant scheme for uh, UBS. But the last five years, as, as, a, as a chapter in themselves, have been an incredible period. Um, and it's quite an interesting point when you think about where I am in my career. Uh, we had a change of personnel. Uh, Bradley Baker joined the company. Chris Strickland, my long-term colleague, um, and David Hudson and Julian Vickery were, were, you know, been working together a long time. And we, we then picked up a lot of new, really amazing projects. So we're bang up to date now, David, but but I don't want to leave just uh, just yet. So tell us now, looking back, what would you say are some of your proudest achievements? Well, I think one of the things that has been an interesting characteristic uh, is when you're looking at careers is that you think it's going to be linear. You think it's going to be from, you know, a smaller practice going into a big thing, et cetera, et cetera. But actually, one of the things that this, this last, certainly this last 15 years has taught me um, as I, you know, at <laughs> At an age when you're thinking, oh, well, that the, probably the best days. This last five years have just been absolutely incredible. And you could say that's a culmination of everything. But in the end, I think that I, I, one of the things I'm very proud of is that we've we've picked, we've always had good people with us. Mike, um, as, as, as I've said, my, the smaller group of core has grown into a much larger group. We've just achieved some amazing blessings, some amazing um, deals in both the West End uh, and the city completed two big buildings, um, two big deals in this last uh, year, including yesterday we've signed the final letting at 22 rate makers. So the whole building is now pre-let, 450,000 square feet uh, for a building completing in six months uh, with a long term client there that I've done two schemes with now. And we are we just and we did the pre-letting to Blackstone of Lansdowne House, 222,000 thousand square feet uh this year led to blackstone so it's just the most amazing run uh and that's for the boy who stood around the corner at um the coach and horses all those years ago uh this this is a sort of in many ways the culmination of a dream 
most definitely. Now, whilst whilst I've got you in sort of a retrospective mode, uh, there's something I, I again I wanted to ask you about. So, back in our back in my research, one of your familiar sort of colleagues said this about you when I asked them what they think sets David apart. And this is what they said. I think it's his optimism and tenacity that set him apart from others. Now, tenacity, I get it. Work hard, right? Not gi- not giving up. That makes sense. But it's the optimism bit that I'm curious about. How do, how do you keep your optimism when others might have lost theirs? Mm. It's interesting, actually. I smiled when you said optimism because quite a lot of people say that about me. Um, I, I do I do put on a, a... There is a sense that I, I do look on the... You know, we've, got, we, we've, we've been through this before. We can get through this. You know, and it's very much the dig deep mo- mode that says, look, once you've achieved something, you know you can achieve it again. And I think that's something that I do try and instill in people. I mean, the world of development is full of... Um, you know, plenty of bumps in the road, and um, the risk. There's risk. There's risk. The what ifs are, are are all over the place, and you have to believe that you can get through that. Um, I, I, I'm also sometimes conscious of I need to motivate teams, inspire people, and I do that certainly when you're doing speeches or whatever. Um, I, I often take a a role of because because you're also a wise, you're wise to the fact that if it sounds too much like a sort of Panglossian you know view of the world oh yeah, everything will be all right don't worry about it it doesn't make it doesn't resonate but what you do is you pick on the things that you know can be you can get through and work at them and and people sort of start believing in that around you and if if you the whole group believes in it you've got a much better chance of achieving it fascinating and now the other thing i wanted to ask you is you speak very very fondly about your previous bosses managers leaders what i wanted to ask you was having absorbed what they had to to teach and sort of benefiting from that you've now you've now been a leader of this of, the, of this business for the last tw- 20 years what style of leadership do you take up now you mean do you mean uh what style of leadership have i used over that period or yeah or how would you characterize your leadership style um well uh it's probably an extension of me um so it's pretty understated uh it's thoughtful uh it's you know i suppose tenacious is one way of looking at it but it's it's having a sense of purpose um i'm a great i think you know when you look at over the last five years the, the the things thrown at us uh we've had to deal with um both personally and as corporates you know with with certainly with the pandemic but uh, with all the other things going on um i've i've felt a responsibility to to play a role i have been president of the city property association and things like that to play a role in uh, you know putting putting the quality of what we do the the quality of the professional london partner for all this international money in london uh, is a really big priority for me and i do tell tell people i do try and help people to understand that in 
in the team here that we've all got a responsibility. It goes back to those early Greycoat days where, you know, those, those, the quality and the ambition of those companies was, was paramount. I think sometimes some of the overseas investors, you can take it for granted. And I think that the professionalism and quality of what we do is, 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 is the top of the list, really, uh, to, to show people what we can do. And again, sort of the, I, I'm looking forward to seeing how you tackle, tackle this sort of question because because of the sort of the tenure you've you've had. Do the same things drive you today? Do, uh, are they the same that drove you in your earlier phase of your career? It's an interesting question. I I think they probably are. I mean, another characteristic which I do say occasionally, and this is maybe the boy from the northeast coming out, even though I sound like a the poshest guy in town, but the, the the I think I've always had that slight sense of being a bit of an outsider, and I think that characteristic is quite useful. Whenever you sometimes you go to these panels about London, and they and they say right hands up who's been born in London, and <laughs> and it's a very small number of people, or even the Greater London area. Uh, so many people come from elsewhere here, and I think. That drove me in the early days, definitely. I had something to prove. I've, I've always felt I've had something to prove. And so, in a way, it still does, you know. So, you know, getting the biggest letting in Mayfair ever, you know, getting a tower away pre-let is a big part of that sense of, of you know, this, this is a driver for me to say, look, this is, I've, you know, we've achieved something very special here. And we do try and bang the drum and make make as much as we can out of it to say this is this is... This is how this is how good it can be in the development world. So yes, I think those those that motivation is still there. It's muted and it's different, obviously. But I I take nothing for granted. I take nothing for granted. You, you, it's 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 always there's always another something else to to drive you forward. Well, listen, David, I've got to bring this uh, to an end and, and wrap wrap this up. But I have. Thoroughly enjoyed uh, you sharing this this story, uh, and and I think it's quite a unique story as well. Probably for just sort of how how honest you've been around sort of how you how you've taken on these roles and and really put across your your own sort of personality. So David, thank you very much for sharing that with us. It's been brilliant, Nick, and thanks very much for inviting me. It's been amazing to jot down my life <laughs> in, <laughs> in a few pages in the many chapters. So that's been quite a it's been quite a, an experience for me as well. Excellent news.